listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. I'm just curious, how many of you guys have ever had a dentist preach to you on a Sunday morning? <laughs> uh, it is so good to be here. Uh, good to see you this morning. I am really uh, overwhelmed by the, by the grace of God. Uh, like you heard, my name is Ruben Moyana. I'm one of the elders here at the church. And um, obviously, I'm not the guy usually preaching here. Uh, so thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, preach to you this morning. Um, you know, I just want to uh, tell you how much I appreciate uh, you just uh, as a church body, uh, the, the encouragement uh, that we have. You know, I just think about our small group. Uh, just thank you so much um, just uh, for, for welcoming us uh, when we first came to this area. Uh, just so thankful for, for God's grace that is so evident uh, here in this church. Uh, and thanks to Pastor Brad for uh, preaching the word of God to us here uh, faithfully uh, every week. Uh, it's been uh, really joy and a privilege uh, to serve as one of your elders, so thank you uh, for allowing me uh, to do that. Uh, the Bible uh, is the Word of God, and uh, that's what we're going to uh, look at today. Uh, it is a treasure to us, uh, and we must really uh, hear from it. So if you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we'll be in chapter 1. Uh, the sermon this morning is titled, Who is Jesus to You? Who is Jesus to You? Uh, you should have a, chair, uh, a Bible in the chair rack in front of you. Uh, we invite you to take that Bible home if you don't have a Bible. Uh, it's uh, God's Word. It is essential uh, for us to, to, to read that. So go to the table of contents and find the book of Colossians, if you will. Let's pray together. Oh, God. We need your help this morning. I need your help this morning as I preach your word, God. My brothers and sisters, I need your help this morning to listen to me. We are not sufficient for these things, God, but God, I pray, I just thanking you, God. Thank you for your precious word. We, we don't want this to be uh, just another religious exercise but God, we want to know you. We want to know you this morning. So we plead with you, God. I plead with you that you would help us. Help us to understand this text. Heavenly Father, open our minds and our hearts to grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is. And deepen our affections for Jesus. Lord, I pray that I, I would not get in the way of what you have to say to us this morning. May my personality not get in the way, may my accent not get in the way, may my weaknesses and my pride not get in the way. We want to hear your voice this morning. Lord, would you please comfort those who need comfort and convict us, convict us, oh God, with your word. May we love Jesus more, may we worship Jesus rightly. In his name I pray, amen. 
All right. Now, some of you guys know that uh, my wife, Edith, and I, uh, I've got two uh, girls. Uh, we've got Joy, uh, who is six years old, and Jada, uh, who is four, going on 30. Uh, and uh, when Joy was about three years old, um, we used to read her uh, a little bedtime story uh, from this tiny little booklet that has got about seven pages. Um, and on the, very last, uh, on the very last page of this little booklet, uh, there was a little picture, a little cartoon figure of uh, baby Jesus lying in a manger. Um, and any time I would read uh, uh, this little book to uh, Joy, uh, she would uh, say, Daddy, Daddy, look. Look at baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is so cute. Look, look, Daddy, baby Jesus has got many animals. And, uh, and that was her deep theology on, on who Jesus Christ uh, uh, was uh, at that point. So, uh, you know, the other day we were having uh, family worship as we uh, routinely do at our house. And, and I asked the girls, I said, who's Jesus to you? And they say, Jesus is the son of God. Uh, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And I was like, yes, you know, they're starting to get it. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's great to note and to see that their understanding of who Jesus Christ is has improved over the years. As the, as the time has gone by, they, they have seen that. So that's my goal this morning. My goal is for us to, to see who Jesus Christ is is based on the Word of God, not based on my opinion, but on the Word of God. I want us to have a deeper and a fuller understanding of who Jesus Christ is based on the Word of God. So who is Jesus to you? Follow with me in the Scriptures. I invite you, please open your Bibles. Please open your Bibles to to, uh, Colossians chapter 1. He, meaning Jesus... He is, the invi- he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." So this passage of scripture, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20, you know, this is an awesome passage, isn't it? If your heart, if your heart ever gets to be weary and cold, you know, just take some time and read and study these amazing uh, truths uh, that we're seeing here. Um, If you ever find yourself just spiritually thirsty, Spiritually thirsty or spiritually dry, come, 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 come here and drink from the fountain of the riches of who Jesus Christ is. Take some time and meditate on the riches that are present here. Now, let me begin by giving you guys a little bit of background information on the book of Colossians. Now, what's pretty remarkable about this book uh, of Colossians is that Paul, Paul writes this uh, book here from a prison in Rome. 
which is pretty remarkable. You know, if, if, you, if you just see the richness of this passage, you just see the exaltation of who Jesus Christ is. So Paul understands that there's, a, there's this false system of doctrine, this false theology that is being propagated in Colossae. And he understands that because of this guy by the name of Epaphras. Uh, he's mentioned in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 7 to 8, and he's also mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. So Epaphras has just visited Paul in Rome, and uh, we know that Epaphras is, is actually one of the pastors uh, at the church in Colossians. And so he tells Paul that there's some terrible, horrible things going on at the church in, in terms of heresy. Um, so if you want uh, to get a glimpse of that, what was going on, you can, you, can, you can really hear his concern when you look in Colossians chapter 2. Look in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. It says that, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells. And then we see also uh, his concern about this heresy and what, the, what it was doing. It was just wreaking havoc at the church of the Colossians. Uh, listen to me uh, when I read here, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous minds and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints, ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. So you see, there was this heresy, false teaching uh, that was going on about uh, pretty much uh, they were attacking the doctrine of the deity of Christ, this doctrine that Jesus Christ is fully God. And the heretics at Colossae, they were saying that Jesus Christ is not God, that he was not sufficient for salvation. They were teaching that in addition to Jesus Christ, people should also worship angels. They were teaching that people had to worship angels, worship other spirits. You know, these, these heretics were claiming to have special visions, possessing special knowledge, and that is what false teachers do. I mean, turn, turn your TVs to TBN. You'll see some of this stuff. Heresy. Heresy minimizes the truth of the gospel. Heresy. Heresy undermines the gospel. So the attack of this particular heresy uh, was apparently, you know, apparently later on, it develops into what is known as Gnosticism. So ladies and gentlemen, these heresies were very much alive in the first century. And I am convinced, I am convinced that they are still very much alive today. If you ever, if you ever have a Jehovah's Witness knock on your door, ask them if they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and they will say no. They will deny it. Ask those who teach New Age, Buddhist philosophies, and they will flatly deny the reality that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who takes the sins of the world. Humanistic teaching, Islamic teaching, also rejects the idea that Jesus is God. 
that he's the only way to salvation. And I know we've got some college students in here. College students, be careful. Be careful, college students, of some of your professors and your fellow students who will try to persuade you to reject Jesus Christ and embrace their intellectual philosophies. So we do ourselves well. Like I say, you know, we have to go to the Word, right? The Word, the Word, the Word. So 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability, but grow, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And this is what I want us to do this morning. I pray, I pray, and I've been praying, and I've been praying this week, and I hope that we would not, that I would not, that you would not get carried away by the law, lawless, the era of lawless people. And I pray that God would help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So may we grow, may we glorify him this morning as we learn more about him from this uh, scripture. So essentially, this is what I want to do this morning, okay? I want to walk us through four points, four points that I saw when I was studying this text, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. Four points that remind us who Jesus Christ is and what our proper response ought to be in light of who he is. And uh, I will spend about half of my sermon on the first point and then uh, the remaining on the three, okay? So the first point I want to make is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who is fully God and he deserves our love and worship. Again, Jesus Christ is the Son of God who is fully God. And he deserves our love and worship. So from the very start, I want you to see the doctrine again of the deity of Christ, the fact that Jesus Christ is fully God. Uh, pay attention to the text. Uh, look down in your Bibles there. Verse 15. Okay, So I want you to pay attention to two words in the text. Okay, The word image and the word firstborn. Colossians chapter 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. So notice there, notice there in the text how it says he is in the present tense, okay, continually, timeless. It's like, it's like a timeless present. So the existence of the Son of God is apart from all time. You know, Jesus Christ's existence is eternal. He existed before time existed. And he will always exist in the future to eternity. And you know, the word image in the original language, uh, in the Greek language, is the word akon. And that word means likeness. It generally, you know, refers to something uh, being shaped to resemble something else. Uh, and here, the word is used to identify Jesus Christ as the perfect representation or likeness of God. 
So think, think, think with me for just a second. You know that I'm a dentist. So imagine you come to my office and you've got a toothache and uh, I take an x-ray image of your tooth. Okay, so when I look at that image, I can look at that image and know for sure if that image has got a cavity, guess what? Your, your, your tooth has a cavity as well. I can look and see if there's a fracture in your, in your to- on your tooth. The x-ray image is also going to show a fracture on your tooth, right? So in a much more greater, in a much more greater and a much more meaningful way, Jesus Christ is an image of God the Father. You know, we can, we can look at Jesus and be absolutely sure that he's the accurate representation of God. He's God in the flesh. He's holy. As God the Father is holy. He is righteous. As God the Father is righteous, he's just and pure. As God the Father is just and pure, he has infinite and unlimited power as God the Father does. Jesus, 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 he is majestic, he is full of splendor, he is amazing. Oh, see, I hope you see, I hope you understand that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now, you know, our our English Bibles, our translations, I think the ESV Bible is, is personally, I think, you know, one of the best uh, translations out there. Um, I, I, I also read the NIV translation. Uh, when you read the NIV translation in this text particularly, you will see that uh, the NIV says uh, that Jesus Christ is the firstborn over all creation. But if you've got the, the uh, ESV, it says uh, he is the firstborn of creation. So, you know, this is a little uh, helpful here. Where This is where you feel... You have to dig a little bit deeper to get the uh, understanding of the words here. And so, the, I did a little word study, and, and the word for firstborn in the original languages is the word prototokos. And the word prototokos comes from the word protos, which means uh, that Jesus, you know, he is first, foremost, in place, in order, in time, in rank, in, and, in, and in dignity. So what Paul what Paul has in mind was the rights and the privileges of a firstborn son. Especially, especially the firstborn son of a king who would later on inherit the ruling sovereignty from his father. So that's what you have to think about when you see this word firstborn here. So Jesus as the firstborn in this text means that, again, he's got the highest position, he's got the highest rank, he's got the highest priority, he's got the highest position. And a firstborn in this context does not mean that he was first to be born, but he's the heir of all. He's the creator of all things. He's the owner of all things. And as the creator of all things, guess what? Jesus could not have been a created thing, right? If he created all things, Jesus was not created. He has always existed. So make sure you understand that because the cults, when they knock on your door, when the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door, they'll love to take the meaning of this word and twist it. Be careful of the false teachers. Now, when you read your Bibles, especially uh, the books, uh, when you go to the Gospels, you know, the Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
uh, you see Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's got this ultimate rank and authority like we just said here. And I mean, we see him, he's, he's healing the diseases. We see him, he's commanding the demons. And even we, sh- we, 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 we are shown his uh, power over death. Isn't that remarkable? So look with me, if you will, uh, verse 19. You know, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So did you catch that? It says all the fullness. Not some. Not a little. But all. So there's no question that this passage of Scripture is teaching us about the deity of Christ, the very doctrine that Jesus Christ is not only a man, but he's fully God. He's not created. He's always existed in eternity past with God the Father before creation, before the beginning of time as we know it. He existed. You know, there's a tendency for us to think that Jesus Christ started existing when Mary gave birth to him, but that's not correct. The Apostle John reminds us of this truth. In the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, says, In the beginning was the Word. And this is referring to Jesus. And the Word was God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And then Paul The Apostle Paul also tells us the same thing in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled. Himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the humility of Jesus Christ? That, that, that the God who created all things would become a baby. Like those little guys in the nursery with the, with the bibs and the diapers. You know, he drooled, threw up like a baby. He needed to get his diaper changed. Needed to be burped after he drank his milk. Isn't that amazing? Pretty extraordinary when we think about it, isn't it? Now, we cannot really talk about this doctrine of... Uh, this reality that Jesus Christ is fully God, you know, without us really glossing over a little bit of the uh, doctrine of the Trinity. So according to Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology textbook, he says, uh, we may define the doctrine of the Trinity as follows. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each person is fully God, And there's one God. You guys got it, right? You can go home now, right? (laughs) Make sense? So, 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 you know, in, in one sense, the doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery. 
You know, it is a mystery that we will never really be fully able to understand. However, you know, we can look in the scriptures and uh, get like a summary, a summary of what the doctrine is. So uh, let me summarize it pretty quick for you in three statements, okay? Statement number one, the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, God is three persons. God is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, okay? Statement number two, uh, each person is fully God. So what's pretty remarkable about the Trinity is that, uh, you know, there's diversity in the Trinity. You know, God the Father is separate from God the Son, separate from God the Holy Spirit. They're they are different uh, personalities, okay? Statement number three, it's not a contradiction. There is one God. So we see unity there. So there's diversity in the Trinity, and we also see that there is unity in the Trinity, you know, the Trinity is really, it's, it's a beautiful mystery. But, but, you know, what's interesting is that it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around it. Uh, we want a God we can figure out. But quite frankly, I'm fine to just uh, be able to trust him uh, with what he has given us in his word. Uh, and that's another sermon by itself another time. So the Trinity is not mentioned directly in the scriptures, uh, but uh, we've got allusions of the, uh, uh, that we see about the Trinity. For instance, if you look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, uh, during creation, God says, let us make men in our image, after our likeness. So that's, you know, during creation, that talks about the Trinity. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, like when he gives the, uh, the Great Commission, he tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, not the names, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you see the singular there. So that's a reference to the Trinity. Um, so Jesus is fully God. Again, Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 reminds us of that. It says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay, so now understand that Jesus Christ, you know, he had to be fully God and he had to be fully man for him to make proper atonement for us. Okay? Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27 is remarkable. You know, we see Jesus there uh, calming the storm. I'm going to read it pretty quick. Uh, verse uh, 23, beginning in Matthew chapter 8. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great, a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. <laughs> and they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And the man marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So we see, you know, that Jesus is so human. I mean, he's tired. Jesus is taking a nap on the boat. You know, he's fully, he's fully man. Uh, but we also see that he's fully God. In that he commands, he commands the wind and the sea. And they obey So Jesus Christ, 
has infinite power and all authority. In your life, in my life, he's God. Now, some people will try to argue against that fact, and they'll say Jesus is only a prophet. Some people will say he's just a teacher. But quite frankly, I have not heard of any prophet or teacher who can command nature the way Jesus did or heal diseases or people tell people, raise up from the dead. Have you? The Dalai Lama does not command nature. Buddha did not command nature. The prophet Muhammad did not command nature. But you may be thinking, you may say, wait, wait, Reuben, if, if Jesus, if Jesus is powerful and has authority like you say he has, why does it seem like he is not doing anything about my situation? I have prayed to this Jesus, and it seems like nothing is happening. Well, let me remind you, brothers and sisters, that because of this power, this power and this authority that we see in Jesus, you know, we should be even more encouraged to pray and trust. Pray. Trust. Knowing that he's able to do anything if he chooses to. Let me remind you that in his sovereignty, he has unlimited power and he makes all things work together for those who love him who are called according to his purposes. He knows, he knows, friends, what is best in your life, in my life, even when Things happen that do not make any sense whatsoever. So if Jesus, if Jesus is God, we have already established that he's God, right? So if he is God, what is the implication for us? Well, obviously, the implication is we must love and worship. Love and worship him. Matthew chapter 22, verse 12. 34 to 38. You know, we see the great commandment there. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. So can we say that? Can we say that we love Jesus this way? Can we say, can we say that we love him with all our heart? With all our soul and our mind, do we, have a, do we have a deep, a sincere affection for Jesus? 
When we, when we sing those songs, do you read those songs? And do you, do you, do you see the, the beauty and the majesty of who Jesus Christ is? He is God. He deserves to be praised and worshipped. And you know, this is where we also realize that there is a tendency for us as God's people to disconnect. We disconnect between loving God and obeying God. So if you can, turn your Bibles with me pretty quick to, to uh, John chapter 14. Go there, please. Uh, John chapter 14. Now, these are words directly from the mouth of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. Then go down to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then drop down to verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Go to chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Are we getting the point? So are there any areas in your life that you know you are deliberately disobeying Jesus this morning? Is there any sin in your life that you know you are not repenting off this morning. Dear friends, if we love him, if we love Jesus, we should make every effort to obey him. But we should ask the Holy Spirit to help us to do so, so that we can, we can obey his commandments. And, and God help us. Just, you know, I hope when I say when I read this text here, you don't just have shields come up and you say, oh, 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 here we go, here we go. This is, here's the legalistic teaching. This is not legalistic teaching. No, 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 no. This is biblical teaching. This is coming from God's word. These are the words of Jesus Christ himself. If Jesus was to walk up to you and say these same words, would you say he's being legalistic? Would you say that? So let's be clear. Obeying God does not, however, make us, you know, it does not make us earn anything. You know, we don't earn brownie points from our obedience. 
But it definitely pleases and honors our Heavenly Father when we do, right? God delights in us when we obey Him. God is glorified in our obedience, right? I mean, think about it for just a second. Think about your kids, okay? Or if you don't have any kids, think about when you were a kid, okay? If your kids obey you, you know, it does not necessarily make you love them more. No, it should not anywhere. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 but definitely, you know, we can say that it pleases and honors you as a parent, right? I mean, if you tell your kid to do something and they obey you, as a parent, you'll, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm honored. Oh, that's my kid right there. Uh, you know? Uh, so the question is, do, do we love him this way? Are we, are we, in, love, are we in love with Jesus to the point where we, we see the seriousness of obedience, okay? You know, I'm not asking, when I ask, when I, when I ask this question, whether or not we love God, you know, I'm not asking the person sitting on your left or right or in front of you or behind you. I'm asking you, do you love Jesus? You know, one of the ways we can tell if we love something is by kind of taking inventory of the things that we boast on. You know, we have a tendency to go about bragging on the things that we, we love. Um, if you don't believe me, go on Facebook. You'll you see it. Um, you know, so the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we boasting on Christ? Are we boasting on Christ? You know, one of my favorite passages in Scripture uh, is Jeremiah 9, chapter 23 to 24. You know, it says, it says uh, thus says the Lord, you know, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord your God, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So we have to ask ourselves the question. He says, do not boast on how smart you are, right? Or how much muscle power you got. Or how much money you got in your pocket. He says, don't boast on those things. If you were to, to go to Philippians chapter 3, 3, you don't have to go there now. You know, it says that we are not to glory or boast on anything, but, but, but we are to, to boast in glory on Christ. That's what Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 says. So let us be reminded of that. So we see that because he's God, you know, we must love Jesus, obviously. But also, you know, he must be worshipped, right? I want you to pay attention here. Go, uh, I think this will come up on the screen here. Uh, Revelation chapter Five. I think, I think Revelation chapter 5 helps us. You know, if Jesus is God, we love him. We agree, right? If Jesus is God, we worship him, right? All right, so let's look in Revelation chapter 5 uh, from verse 11. Oh, listen, listen to these words. Please, please, listen to these words. Please, please listen to these words. You know, this is a glimpse of how Jesus is worshipped. Then I looked, 
This is John. He was given a vision of how Jesus is worshipped in heaven. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many, many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy! Worthy! Is the Lamb who was slain? I, tr I tremble when I read this. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might. Forever and ever. And the four living creatures <laughs> said, Amen. And the elders fell down. And what did they do? They worshiped. Day and night. Day and night. Day and night. Jesus. Jesus. Day and night you worship. Day and night. Jesus. 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 So that is our first point. Don't get nervous. We're going to finish on time. So Jesus is the Son of God, who is fully God, and He deserves our love and worship. So the second point I want to make is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the agent of creation who holds all things together. He is the ultimate goal for which all things were created. So look with me again in the text. Go back in the text now to Colossians. Go back to Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. I want you to notice there. The three prepositions, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, 
visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So by him, through him and for him. So Paul teaches us in this passage of scripture that Jesus created all that is, right? All that came into existence exists because Christ exists. That is, it exists to display the greatness of Christ. Nothing, nothing in the universe exists for the sake of existing, right? But to show the glory of Christ. If you were to take a dive in the deepest ocean, the Pacific Ocean, which is 36,200 feet deep, everything that you would see underwater was created by Christ, through Christ, for Christ. If you were to climb up the tallest of all mountains, Mount Everest, the peak of which is 29,000 feet above sea level, you know, we would be amazed at the grandeur and the majesty and the beauty of what Jesus has created. By him, through him, for him, it was created. You know, Jesus Christ created it all. From the smallest atom to the largest galaxy. From the ugliest looking spider, 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 erect. To the most beautiful human being or angel. In heaven, from the greatest saint to the most terrible dictator, everything exists. Everything exists to make the greatness of Christ fully known. You know, Jesus Christ created you and me. You know, he knows the numbers of hair on your head. And if you're anything like me, he knows the number of hair that could possibly be on your head. (laughs) It's crazy stuff. Oh, man. So, so let's remember that. You know, all creation was made to give glory to God. The psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. The heavens declare the glory of God. Wow. If you ever read Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, you know, God says we were created for his glory. You know, God's role as creator makes him worthy our glory. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, again, I love Revelation. Oh, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed. So he's worthy this morning, right? He's worthy. Jesus is worthy to receive all glory and honor and power. He's worthy of our worship. Verse 16 says, all, he, he created all things, right? And all things means what? All things. Right? I mean, look in the text. I mean, if, if you were to study this text, I was studying this text and I was un- highlighting, you know, how many times from, from, ver- from verse 15 to verse 20, how many times it says all? You know, you know, how many times? Seven times in six verses. All. So let us be encouraged from this text. And if you look in verse 17, it says, 
Uh, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus did not just create all things, but he holds all things together. He's the connective tissue that holds the world together. Okay? So brothers and sisters, in a room this big, I know, I know that there are various circumstances and situations that are re- represented here. But you know, how encouraging is it <laughs> to know that? The God, the eternal God who sustains the entire universe is watching over you and me. You know, there is no detail in your life that is too small for his concern, Christian. There is no circumstance that is too big for his sovereign control. Let me repeat that. There is no detail in your life and my life that is too small or too big for his concern and his sovereign control. So again, that's our second point, that Jesus Christ is the agent of creation who holds all, creation, all things together, and he is the ultimate goal for which all things were created. And that takes us to our third point. Third point, Jesus Christ is the ultimate head of the church to which all its members should joyfully submit. Now, there are several metaphors that we see in the scriptures, okay? When you look in the scriptures, the the church of God is described as a household. It is described as a kingdom, a vineyard, a flock, a building, a bride. But the most profound metaphor, as far as I'm concerned, is that of a body. I guess guess, because I'm in the medical dental world. The church is a body. And Jesus Christ is the head of the body. So let us be reminded this morning that the Pope is not the ultimate head of the church. The deacons and the elders are not the ultimate head of the church. And I know Pastor Brad would agree with me that even the senior pastor in any local church is not the ultimate head of the church. But Jesus, Jesus Christ is the head of the church and all the leaders in the church answer to Jesus Christ. All the members in the church answer to Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. And while on that subject, let me expound a little bit on the word church. What is the church? I studied, I love, I love word studies. I studied the word uh, church is the word ecclesia in the original languages. And this word means assembly. The ones who have been chosen by God or called out by God. So the church is the gathered assembly of God's people who have been called out or chosen by God. Those who have been saved by grace. It is not a building. As most of us would think. And when you study this word, you see that it first appears in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 16 verse 18, when Jesus says to his disciple Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So there is a sense there in which uh, the church refers to the local church. Like Cross Point Church is a local church. And then we talk about the church universal. Like, like uh, churches in Zimbabwe, India. China, Mexico, wherever, you know, that's the church universal, and we are part of that. So let's, let's think a little bit through what it means. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is the head of the church? Now, a very helpful book that I've read uh, on the theology of the church is a book by the guy, uh, I think his name is R.B. Kuiper. Uh, and uh, listen to the words that I'm going to read here. Uh, this is from that book. Uh, Kuiper says, the relationship of Christ to the church is so varied and rich as to defy adequate description. 
to name but a few of the numerous aspects of this relationship. He is both its founder and its foundation, its savior and its owner, its preserver and its hope, its lover and its beloved, its righteousness and its holiness, its head and its king. Without fear of contradiction, it may be said that no aspect of Christ's relationship to the church looms larger in holy writ than the fact that he is its head. Isn't that good? Man, I wish I wrote that. So, so, think, so think with me practically for just a second. Okay. So what does the head do for the body, right? The head communicates with the body, right? You know, impulses ascend from your brain to the rest of your body to maintain and control it. Like, did you know that there are 22 different names for the different little tiny holes that are present in your skull? And these tiny little holes, they allow nerves, arteries, blood vessels to go from your head to the body to control it. It allows you to smell, to touch, to feel, uh, to move. So the head, you know, we can say physiologically, you know, biology lesson today, physiologically directs and guides the body, right? The head guides, it arouses, it inspires, it controls the body. The head rules and reigns over the body. Now, now some of you guys know I grew up in uh, Zimbabwe, and uh, sometimes people, you know, will come to me and they say, you know, what was it like, you know, growing up in Zimbabwe? What was that like? So, you know, I grew up in the city, uh, but once every while, you know, we would visit our relatives uh, in the remote areas. And I'll never forget this one time when, uh, uh, when I was a little younger and my mom and I decided to visit my great-grandmother. You know, she lived out in the bushes, like in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, you know, people in her village were so excited, you know, to hear that we were coming to visit them. And, uh, and so they were like inviting us. Like, we were like being invited from one home to the other. And uh, if you don't know anything about Africans, you know, Africans love to feed their visitors. You know, they will, they will kill a goat or chicken or cow pretty quickly. Uh, <laughs> and they'll feed you. Man, I remember. There was like a time, you know, we were like walking and walking and walking. Go to this house and kill a chicken. Like two, two hours later, we're walking somewhere else to go here. Kill a chicken again. Uh, and, 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 and then I remember, it's like I remember going to uh, uh, this other house, like this lady was uh, preparing a chicken for us. And I'm sorry if there are any vegetarians in here, by the way. This is like a terrible analogy for the vegetarians. Uh, I, I know that. So, but, but I remember uh, we, uh, we went to this, uh, this house, and my mom was like, uh, oh, oh, man, we're about to eat another chicken. So this lady, you know, she's going there, and she gets a little knife. She cuts the little head of the chicken off. And, uh, but she did, not, she did not hold the chicken down, you know. So this little chicken started like, you know, like walking like this. You know, without the head on there, I, I promise I saw this. So I, 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 I got a chance to witness a chicken running with, 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 without a head. Have you guys ever seen anything like that? It, it was, it was kind of crazy. You know, for about 10 seconds, this chicken is like, and then it just like, until it went, it went down. Um, I had no idea that chickens could do that. Have you guys ever seen that? No, no. Go to Africa, you'll see it. Yeah. Yeah, go there. Yeah. So, so, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the same is true for the church, isn't it? You know, if Jesus Christ is not our head, you know, we may do church for a little while. We may manage to run for a little while. But ultimately, we will fail. We will not make it. You know, just like the body does nothing without the head, 
The church cannot do any, anything fruitful without yielding to Jesus Christ as our head. You know, all our efforts as a church and as individuals ultimately yield no fruit. And they're meaningless if we don't acknowledge and submit to Jesus Christ as our head. Oh, I hope we see that. That Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And I hope that we all joyfully, joyfully submit to Jesus as our head. And on, on that note, you know, if you're a Christian and you're not a member of a church, I urge you to find a church. You know, a body of believers that you join. You know, we invite you to join this church if you want to. Uh, or any other church in here in, in Columbus or wherever you live. It's good to be with the church. And if you, you know, you know if, you're like, if, you're, if you're a Christian and you are, you're not a member of a church, you know, it's like, it's like a hand that's not attached to a body. You know, you're like a body part missing from organism. So, so uh, and if you're, if you're not a Christian, you know, I hope and I pray that this is the day that, that, that you turn from your sin and you trust in Christ. And, and I will urge you to first look up to Jesus for salvation from sin and then, and then join a local church that will help you to grow in your faith as well. So as God's chosen people, you know, we should really value community, right? You know, the Bible says we should not neglect to meet with fellow believers. So, so come to church gatherings. You know, join a small group so that you can know other people you're worshiping with, right? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Mm but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then we're reminded too that, you know, we are, we are one body. All of us, different, but we are one body. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 14. First Corinthians 12 uh, says, For just as the body is one and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in him one spirit, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greek, Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So you see, everybody in the body of Christ, you know, plays a crucial role. We need each other to grow. We need each other to be challenged in our faith. And we need each other so that we can promote the glory of Christ in, in, here in Columbus and around the world. I know we got a team in Uganda right now. You know, God is a global God. So Jesus Christ is the herd, is the head of the church. So that was our third point. Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ the ultimate head of the church to which all his members should joyfully submit. And my fourth and last point uh, is this. Trusting in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross reconciles sinners to a holy God. Let me say that again. Trusting in the work of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross reconciles sinners to a holy God. And that is good news, friends. You know, we, we talked about how this book uh, to the Corinthians, uh, you know, it's, it's addressed to the Christians in Corinthians. Uh, Paul reminds the Christians in the church, you know, how they got saved. You know, look with me, uh, uh, if you will, look down in your Bibles in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. 
Verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So He's reminding them how they got saved. And then Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, He says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. So hear the gospel. Hear the gospel. Hear the gospel, my friends. The just and the gracious God of the universe who created all things through his son Jesus has looked down upon us a hopelessly sinful and rebellious people. We were alienated from God because of our sin. But God... But God has made a way to deliver us in his love and mercy. He has sent Jesus here to earth. Jesus essentially lived a perfect life, a life that we could not live. And he died a brutal death on the cross. A death that we deserved. We deserved to be on the cross to experience the wrath of God. We deserved to spend an eternity separated from God in hell. Hell is a real place. But God, but God made a way through Jesus. He died on the cross and he rose from the grave. Why? So that those who would turn from their sin and trust in him would be reconciled and made right with God forever and ever. Jesus died for those who chose before the foundation of the world. So I want you to consider this for just a second. Consider a girl that I met when I was in Zimbabwe. Her name is Anotambuzika. How many of you can say that? (laughs) Okay, her name literally means the one who's troubled. And ever since she was young, she has been told by her parents that their family is cursed with evil spirits. And that unless she offers up sacrifices and praise to her ancestors, she would always be troubled. So day after day, she's been told, brew beer, brew beer. If you spill the beer on the ground, that is your hope. So day after day, she brews beer and she spills it to the ground because she's been told that's what she needs to do to appease these evil spirits. She fails most of the time. And her life is full of emptiness and fear. She has not found salvation. She does not know Jesus. And then consider a girl that uh, is in India. Her name is Ritu. She identifies herself as a Hindu. And as a Hindu, she's been told from, from before she was young that her access to God depends on three things. It depends on the way of works, on the way of, salva- on the way of uh, knowledge, and on the way of devotion, works, knowledge, and devotion. She has been told that just in case, just in case God is unapproachable, there are a million other gods and idols from which she can choose. She's been told that if she does not like life on earth right now, she can always come back as a cow or a butterfly or something else. She too is full of emptiness. She has not found salvation. She does not know Jesus. And then consider my story. 
You know, I grew up in the church from a young age, and I thought that religion, religion and being good would save me. I thought that because I was a relatively nice kid and went to church with my mom every Sunday, that I was right with God. But I was dead. I was dead in my sin. You know, I did not really know God. I did not really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Until God himself called me. He called me to himself. And I remember being haunted by the words of Jesus. Listen to these words. Jesus in Matthew 7, 22 to 23, he says, On that day, many will come to me. They'll say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, I remember being convicted of that passage. And praise God, praise God that he made his gospel clear to me. He made it clear to me that salvation does not come to us by works, but comes to us only, only by the grace of God, through faith in what Jesus has done on our behalf. And you know, one of my favorite passages of scripture is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. And let me remind you the words of Jesus. In John chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, Jesus does not say that I'm one of the ways. He says, I am the way. John 3, 16 to 18. Most of us know John 3, 16. Let me read the whole from John 3, 16 to 3, 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And listen to this. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. You know, that's heavy. That's, that's really, really heavy in my heart. Are you, are you believing in Jesus this morning? Friends, there's no there's no question that is much more urgent and more important than this one. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? If you are not a Christian, I invite you, I invite you this morning to look up to Jesus. You know, look up to the cross and what he did there on behalf of sinners. Oh, that you would turn from your sins. Repent, repent. Repent and turn to God for the forgiveness of sins. And if you are a Christian, you know, the question is, are you worshiping Jesus as he deserves to be worshiped? Are you obeying Jesus as we read earlier? Are you making it your mission to tell others the gospel that saves? Are you making disciples? Oh, God, help us. Oh, God, help me. Help me. Help me. I'm preaching to myself here. I'm preaching to myself. You know, when, when the band comes, when, when they come up to, you know, to, to lead us in worship, I invite you guys, just, just joyfully sing. Sing with joy. You know, the question is, do we believe this? Do, do, we, do, we, do we believe this book here? 
Do we believe this book? I mean, we read how, how God is worshipped in heaven. How can we be casual? How can we worship him so casually? When we read what we read in here, I'm not asking you to be Pentecostal. I mean, I'm not asking that. I'm asking, engage your heart. Now, this is not a show. I'm not trying to put on a show for you. Do we believe this book here? Do we believe it? Let us live as people who believe this book. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you. I I am overwhelmed by your grace. God, you are so good. Thank you for sending your son Jesus. God, I pray that if there's anything I've said this morning that does not line up with your word, that it will be burned like chaff and be blown away. But God, I pray for the hearts of your people. Save those who have been rebellious. And for us Christians, God, I pray that you would help us. Help me, Father, to live in a way that honors and glorifies you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.